Hello, I'm Peter Eyes. Welcome to the podcast that converses with creatives about their craft, career and what matters to them. In this episode, we traverse the stages of stage door keeper John C. Goad. For 22 years, the stage door at the Lyric Theatre in Sydney has been attended by John C. Goad. He is a charming and generous soul with a wicked sense of humour and a valiant sense of duty. He has seen the comings and goings of many a theatrical as they have taken up occupancy at the theatre, playing a season and then moving on. The stage door is the entrance to the magic and illusion of the theatre. Through this door, our storytellers pass. International and local names, jobbing actors, ensembles and company members enter and depart the building from this artery. Some return with other shows and some provide only fleeting glimpses. But all depend on the efficiency and protection of stage door Johnny. A nickname anointed on John from the great Marlene Dietrich when he was working at stage doors in London. Goad was raised in Papua New Guinea where he developed his love of performance and storytelling. As a member of various theatre groups, he toured the country presenting shows in English and Pigeon. The absence of a pen friend commenced his writing to theatre, film, sporting and political identities around the world. This often led to lengthy correspondence and occasional meetings. In 1979, he landed in London to commence employment as personal assistant to the late British actor Patrick Cargill. Goad studied acting with Studio 68 and was a founding member of Stage 80. He's worked as an actor, singer, interpreter and PA, also front of house and at stage door, allowing him unique observations of the business from all angles. Sydney Lyric Theatre has housed almost 100 productions in its life thus far. It's also hosted an array of world names, but one essential commonality for all of the artists is the access they must gain via the stage door. Fair to say, this procession has garnered some fascinating encounters and observations. John C. Goad joined stages for an insightful chat about the duty, the discretion and the dedication of the stage door keeper. So you spend a lot of time at the theatre in your job as stage door manager. First at the state. You did stage door at the the state theatre? For about four years. Right. And then they were built, they were seeking somebody for the lyric. So I applied, went and had an interview with uh, Jill Kite and Bill Pete, uh, Bob Pete. Yes. Or Cole. No, Bob. Bob, Bob Pete. And then I got the job and I went back and I told Greg, Greg Curry. Curry, who was at the state. And I thought I'd, I'd be able to do both, but it didn't work out that way. So I just went to the Lyric full time. So, I mean, you work backstage at Stage Door. Do you get to the theatre much? Do you get to see much live theatre? Outside. Yeah. At the Lyric I do. Right. But outside, no, not that much, unfortunately. I suppose you're pretty time poor of an evening when all the shows are happening because that's when you're working. Only Monday. If there's an industry night, I'll go to, to that. But that doesn't seem to be uh, popular at the moment. I wish they would. Have more industry nights? Have more nights. industry nights on a Monday, yeah. Well, I suppose that, that's the, the dead time that, for everybody, isn't it? That's yeah. the night off. And then actually people will be resting too, I understand that. But I want to see a show. <laughs> would be nice, wouldn't it? I know. There t- tends to be a, um, 
a trend now to have shows at all sorts of times of the, the day and weekend. One, six thirty. Used to be eight o'clock sort of eight shows a week, didn't it? Now mm. they they're starting earlier. Now they're starting seven thirty, like the UK. And they're well attended. Yeah. I guess they are. If the yeah. producers uh, are trying to uh, seven thirty, then people come straight from work. Well, go and have something to eat and then come straight to work. But we no longer have that 11 o'clock number, do we, in a musical? No. It tends to be probably the 9.30 number. <laughs> now, John, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Guinea, in a place called Rabaul. Right. And uh, believe it or not, I was very shy. And um, so my parents decided to send me to boarding school. And they... They palmed me off on to Churchy, Churchy England Grammar. Right. And Simon Gallagher went there. In New Guinea? Ch no, Churchy in Brisbane. Oh, oh, in Brisbane, right. This is boarding school. Yep. Oh, so you went to Brisbane? I went to Brisbane, yeah. From Churchy Papua New Guinea, right. And that's where I started with the Gilbert Sullivans. My first show, I was a geisha girl, <laughs> tall one. <laughs> and I graduated to being a pirate. In, in the Pirates, Pirates of Penzance. Penzance. Right. And then I was a gondolier. And then I was a fairy in Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> Tall one. <laughs> so uh, I guess that was really helping you to combat your shyness, was it? Getting you it, out of yourself? It did. Yeah. And then when I finished boarding school, I went back to New Guinea and I joined the Rebel Little Theatre Group. And we, I start, my first job there was a stage manager. <laughs> and what we would do is we'd do shows and we'd go out to the technical colleges outside the town into the villages and half the time the fun of it was travelling during, uh, during the monsoon period when the cars would break down and we'd all arrive at the theatre to do our shows and we're all <laughs> the backdrops were usually palm leaves and <laughs> that was a lot of fun So what sort of shows were they? Are we, uh, comedy uh, right? A lot because they like comedy Is it indigenous Indigenous yeah, yeah. Some, uh, We did a lot in Pigeon Yep we did some in English for the teachers' training colleges. I really enjoyed those times. So this is your life after high school, secondary exactly. college, and you're a young actor. Young, yeah. Touring PNG. We're doing all these tours around, and I was still working in customs and uh, drugs. At the airport? No, at the um, at the main office. So Dad worked in customs in in customs PNG. Okay, PNG. Yeah, he's. His father arrived in New Guinea in 1925 in Bougainville and he was working for a young doctor as an assistant, Raphael Salento, Diana Salento's father. Oh really? Mm. Okay, yeah. And the family were brought up there and they had a, uh, what they called a house girl that looked after them and some of the expats used to say to my granddad, oh don't, you shouldn't be employing her. My grandfather apparently said, oh her name's Maria. And this fellow said to my granddad, well, Maria's been married seven times and she's killed all the husbands. <laughs> she stayed on with, our, with the family, apparently. Right. What was it like growing up in oh, New it Guinea? Was, it was beautiful freedom. Yeah. Oh, I learned a lot of stuff. Um, I spoke a lot of the languages. As long as I'd done my homework by four o'clock, I was allowed just to go down to the village and hang around with all the the villages and I'd learned um, cooking, fishing at night. On the, it was just freedom. How many languages exist in New Guinea? In New Guinea there's over 800 different languages. Right. Because it's so mountainous, 
the villages down here have another language, but then they all have their own dialect. So how many languages would you have conquered? I could do three. Yeah. Three, four. It's pretty impressive. Is it? But I can't remember learning them. Oh, it was, you just picked it up I just by it up. mixing with the locals. Mm. Uh, when I went to live in England for a while, I tried to forget the pigeon. Then one day I saw this New Guinea guy on the street and we just sort of looked at each other, just like that, which you do, and then the pigeon just came out. Just that recognition. It just and the recognition and it just sparked. And then he came from somewhere that I could speak some of his language, so we just went on and on and on. We're at Piccadilly Circus carrying on and all these people are going, <laughs> going past. What language are they <laughs> What are they yabbering on about? So um, is it a dangerous existence also? Was that in New much... Guinea? Yeah. In those days, no. But now apparently in Port Moresby, it's a bit it's a bit rough. Because you had an uncle murdered at 19, didn't you? 19. That was in Kaviang on the 26th of April, 1939. What happened? Well, apparently... Well, he the villagers caught him later on, but he was from the mainland, PNG. He was, they think he was a Highlander, they don't know, but... The workers and my granddad took this young kid to the patrol officer and the patrol officer basically said we can't accept the young fellow's evidence. So my granddad just said, well, I'll just leave it to my my workers and they caught him. And that was history. And then in 2000 when I took Dad back down to that area, we went to the village and as Dad was walking in, all the old people knew who he was by his walk your father mm. and then they brought out this old man on the on a litter and he had been the young boy wow and while I was trying to take photos I was sort of welling up and he and dad were just sitting down on the beach just talking about things and so I'm going back there in September when I go and put the plaque we dad had put a bronze plaque on and when I saw it was bronze I thought oh dad yeah, that's going to go just because of the because um, of the the, metal. the value, yeah, yeah. So we had a little ceremony with the people from the village. The next day, it was still there. The day before we left to go to Rabaul, I went to have a look, and he said, "Oh, how was Bruce's grave?" I said, "Dad, it looks good, but he'd gone." Hmm. So I've got a, a nice granite plaque, and I've got some people up there who've got, where they're going to dig into the headstone so we can set it in, and I've got this special epoxy. Then that's done. That's the thing, isn't it, with with the DNA, I, I guess, or something. And you, and you realise that as you're getting older, you start to really look like your parents, yeah. recognise your parents. But but forgive me, of course, you were you were adopted. I was so adopted. <laughs> I guess you wouldn't find yourself looking like your dad. But that's why the <laughs> oh, sh- sh- the villagers recognised recognized um, him, the the brother. Yeah, yeah, the brother yeah. and dad. But nineteen, that was long. That was very young. I've only got one photo of him, and he was tall, but he was blonde. Your uncle? Yeah, and yeah, and everybody else had black hair. All the boys had black hair. Oh. And I used to talk about him to Dad, but I never really sort of got into the nitty-gritty more about him, because he, he wouldn't talk about it. And I'm quite sad about that, because I would like to have known more about him. He used to always say that you would have got on well with him. So your parents are New Guinean, is it? No, no. Uh, my adopted parents are English. Right. Oh, no, Australian. Yes. My father, I'm not sure of. My mother, I'm not sure of. And I've never really... You've never had a, no. an interest in no. sort of looking into it? I'm just happy with mum and dad.
Yeah. No, we were told. We were told. I was twelve, I think, and she was ten. And um, this is from boy, your this birth is, parents. This is my adopted parents. Right. And the uh, houseboy came out to the garden where we were playing and said, "Oh, Master Jack wants to tell you something." So we went. We sat on the floor and. And Dad said, oh, Emily, do you want to tell, tell them? Mum said, well, do you want to tell them? So Dad said, you know, you're special. And they told us this, what was going on. And I said, oh, OK. I said, I'm going for a swim. And so I found out years later, my, my sister carried on that she wanted to know why she wasn't adopted first. <laughs> and we've never, we've never got on. Yeah. How old were you then when you were told? Twelve. Twelve, Twelve yeah. Right. Who were you? But then I, I used to go to I used to go to no, I was younger. I used to go to a, a Court Street school, and the next day I went to school and I was telling everybody, "Oh, I'm special! I'm special! I've been adopted." Anyway, the next day I went to school and there were all these expat mums all lined up, and I'm thinking, "Oh, maybe they're going to be, be happy for me." And as I'm going along, they go, "Don't you tell my child that you're special and they're not." <laughs> these were the expat women. Were there? Was there much of an expat community in uh, Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Everybody basically knew everybody else. Right. Who were the um, artistic influences that you had as a, a kid growing up in? In New Guinea? Yeah. I used to like all the traditional dancing. That's what I was interested in. And we, we would only have uh, films every, every now and again on a, on a, a sheet on the beach. So there was no cinema as such? Well, there was a cinema later on called right. The Palms. Right. And I used to go and try and get all the the lobby cards. Yep. And the, the Chinese guy who, who owned it couldn't understand why I was collecting these lobby cards. <laughs> I've still got some, apparently. <laughs> Somewhere in one of these big metal cases. You better look into it, though. I know. It might be worth some, uh, mm. some moolah. Oh, yeah. And it was in New Guinea I started writing to people. Movie stars? Movie stars. Heads of state, dictators. Did you hear back? Yes, because I'd, I'd get this. The only people who wouldn't write back were sportsmen. Although I must say, Shane Gould wrote back, and who's the golfer? Jack Nicholas. Jack, no, not Jack no. Nicholas. The shark. Greg Norman. Greg Norman. He wrote back. They were the only ones that wrote back. Well, that's impressive. What what dictators were you writing, Jack? South American, uh, Ceausescu, uh, Honecker. Did you hear anything back? Oh yes, I got a signed photograph back, <laughs> and I'd, yeah, I get a letter. So I used to write back and say thank you. Right. And my mum used to say, "I hope you say thank you." I said, "Oh yes, I do." So I wrote back. So I'd keep on writing. Even dictators have manners. <laughs> yes. And I, when I, every year I'd go away for a couple of months' holiday, I'd write ahead. There was no email, so we had to do it well yes. ahead. And snail I'd be, trail, mail. Snail trail, and I'd say uh, if. There was an opportunity, may I meet you? I met a lot of people that way. Really? Mm-hmm. Marcos's. Did you try on any shoes? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you see the shoes? No, I saw the shoes. Uh, and later on when I was working for Cargill, he was doing an, an Asian tour of a show, Patrick Cargill. This, yeah, yeah. What was we that were, show that he did, that the TV sitcom? Um, uh, Father Dear Father. Father Dear Father. Mm-hmm. And we went to, years later, we went to Manila. And he said, oh, we're going to Malacanang Palace because Imelda was a fan. So he walked in and I said, oh, I've been here. <laughs> what? <laughs> Not the Marcoses, they're old friends. They're old friends. 
and that's how I got basically the job with Cargill because I wrote so thank you met him uh, helped him with things at the theatre went back home wrote to other people and then he came out here to do a series in 70 77 I think with Sigmund Thornton a TV series and I kept in contact with him. He came and stayed with me in Medang for a couple of weeks. He went back to London about two months later on. He sent a telegram asking would I go and work for him. And I had a good job. I didn't want to leave New Guinea. It took me it took him six months to get me there. So you were like a PA or a... PA. A valet, uh, a dresser, a driver? Every, everything. Right. Everything. Looked after his two homes. So what was he like as a... He was good, he was lovely. Although I learnt um, when he did have a downtime between seasons, he'd have a habit of sitting right behind, right beside the phone. First tingle, and then one day I said, um, Patrick, you know, why don't you have a rest? I'll drive you somewhere, we'll go somewhere. He said, no, some work. And, I, and a lot of people I used to go and visit with him were always the same, they'd always sit near the phone. I guess they didn't have any other skills <coughs> than, than no. performance, than, than acting. And, and I used to think about it and I thought, you know, if to become a, a, a well-known actor, you've got to basically be up there all the time. And you'd be frightened and worried about when the work was starting to... That people would forget you. People or, would forget you, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was a great job. I, I really loved it. I met a lot of interesting people. So is it what kicked off your acting career because you acted for a while didn't you? I acted for a while I did a, lot, a few shows in London but that was basically off the West End there was a, a girl from Adelaide and I we started up a theatre company called Stage 80 and it was in a church off Portobello Road I think it was we went for two weeks we averaged between five and twenty people a night and it was a it was called Find Your Way Home and it was about how a father wouldn't accept his gay son. What, and what year was this? This is like this the would have been late 70s? Uh, uh, 79, 80. Right. So and there was, then there was this scene where she had to plead, plead with me and I had to be older. So before I'd go on, we'd put talcum powder in. So you are playing the dad? I was playing the dad. Right. And every night she'd come up and she had to plead with me. Oh, dad. And I'd just disappear in this cloud of talcum powder. Talcum powder. What other plays did you do? I worked at, um, like, like guest artists, with Studio 68. That was started off by Robert Henderson, an American actor, who was in um, Superman, Superman 1, 2 and 3. He was married to, uh, I think she was a silent movie star, Estelle Winwood. Oh, yeah. She was one of the um, patrons. Yul Brynner, Sean Connery. Is it Lindsay Kemp? Yep. Lindsay Kemp. Um, Angela Lansbury. They were the main patrons. And they would come every couple of months to do some scenes with, with the class. And then they'd sit back while we did a show. And then they'd comment on it later on. That must have been an exciting yes, time big, to be in London. It was a good time to be in London. And seeing lots of theatre yourself, lots, oh, I guess, too. I was going to look. I'd take 
Patrick to the show to do his show, then I was off to do another to, to watch a show. Then I come back and collect him. Because he'd be doing lots in the West End, don't he? Was do, yeah, me and my girl, uh, two and two make sex, which was at the Cambridge where Matilda is. All those great Ray Cooney farces and oh, yeah. yeah, which sort of no longer exist. I guess they'd be non PC. We were at a, a restaurant one night and there was, it was an Italian restaurant. Ray Cooney was over there, Patrick was there, I was here. It's a very, very handsome Italian waiter came up and do you want anything? They had their orders, etc. They had their soup. The next thing the, the waiter came and took the plate and I'm just sort of looking and then Patrick says to Ray Cooney, oh, the dish ran away with the spoon. <laughs> <laughs> very clever. Yes, something. What? So you'd gone to London from New Guinea? From New Guinea. Yeah. It was, but I'd been to London several times before on holidays right. because it was cheaper to go from New Guinea to London for a holiday than to come to Australia. So what eventually brought you to Australia? Back to Australia. My adopted mum was dying of cancer. Right. I just felt as though I had to be here. So they, they'd left New Guinea, they were back in, in Sydney, they, were they? They both retired. Right. Uh, and they came to Brisbane and then I just sort of stayed on and I went back a year after and then Patrick had already come back here for a holiday and he got hit by a car down what? in Maclay Street somewhere Right. and we didn't realise then the things were going on and then he got a brain tumour and I came back and then I went went back to London, to London when he was going um, at the same time, your, your adopted mum was oh, she dying gone. as well? She'd gone. She'd gone, yeah. She, basically, she'd just gone. Uh, so I guess C- Cargill was quite an influential presence in your life as, yeah, a, he was a, as he a teacher, was a mentor, uh, somebody to work yeah. for. Yeah. I saw all the... Um, I just saw a lot of things that I, I didn't think I would see in the theatre industry. You know, people carrying on arguments and things like that, which I didn't think would go on. Uh, he had... Um, well, it is a business. It is a business. Yes. I think I'd been there two days. He said, oh, would you mind taking me to this variety concert? Variety... do. I put the car out onto the main road and I said, oh, Patrick, which lane do I go into? It was one of these old Rolls Royces. Oh, dear boy, just go down in the middle. They'll make way. <laughs> and they did. Because it was a big roll. Because a big roll that nobody wanted to scratch it. So we're in this circle, Barbara Windsor, Danny LaRue and Patrick and myself, and then all of a sudden there was this cigar smoke. I'm looking around and this fellow extends his hand and he says, oh, hello, how are you? And I said, oh, I'm fine, thank you. And then there's this unison from Patrick and Windsor and um, Danny LaRue, sod off, Jimmy. And <laughs> so I said... Jimmy hey, Edwards? No. Yeah. I said later on when we got home, excuse me, um, would you mind explaining to me why you told that man to uh, sod off? And Patrick says, oh, we'll explain one day. The next day on the TV it came up. It was Jimmy Savile. Oh, no. <laughs> See ya. He was I, I said, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy you told to sod off. And no, then they told me. You must have been quite naive. Well, for that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I was born up in the island, so... Yes, exactly. And yeah. I guess... But in some things, I was ahead of them. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. 
So, did you pursue uh, your acting career in Australia, back in Australia? I tried to, yeah. but I was sort of at the wrong, the wrong age, I think. Right. Um, so, what? T- how old were you when you came back full time? I must have been forty. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you're competing with people who've yeah. had twenty years in the industry <coughs> already. And are established. But what Patrick used to tell me was that he told me how he started, he, about the rough times and that, and he said, just basically said to me that if you're going to be an actor, you've always got to have, try and have another job. You've got to pay the rent and all that type of thing. And I always sort of bore that in mind and I got the stage door job. And I thought, well, I'm still in the industry. This is at the state? At the state. Well, that must have been... You know, I arrived in Sydney late nineties, so, and that's about the same time I met you, I guess. You were at the state. I was at the state. Yeah. That's where we met. Yeah, mm. I was doing uh, bar work. That's right. As, as all young actors do when they graduate it's from that, drama it's school. Fellow with the long hair, um, uh, John. No, no. David. David Banks. Yes, he used yes. to he used to run the bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. And and Stuart. Stuart, Stuart Green, Green, yes. Who's been yes. a guest on yes. stages, yeah. Uh, that's a glorious theatre, isn't it? It's a beautiful theatre. Yeah. Beautiful theatre. Um, I was there in the foyer one day. I'd come back from England and Stuart Wagstaff came in. Where's John Goad? Where's John Goad? And, oh, he's over there. And then he just came and took me out on the street and told me that Patrick had been taken to, to the hospital. Right. And I've always remembered that. He lived in North Sydney, I think. Yes. The fact that he came across to tell me that, because someone had rang him. I was, I, I was really happy about You'd that. You'd never met him before? I'd never met him before. I met, I'd met Stuart probably three times, um, and he was an absolute gentleman. <coughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because when I got back to the UK a couple of weeks after, um, he, uh, Cargill said, who told you? And I said, oh, Stuart Wagstaff told me. Because I knew he wasn't well, but I didn't realise he'd collapsed and all that. And I've always remembered that. Yes, the kindness of strangers. How do you know Stuart Wagstaff? How do you know Stuart Wagstaff? <laughs> you know what they're like. Well, well, especially, you know, a bunch of sort of young actors or, or older actors who are working in front of house. Because uh, he was, you know, he's one of our great stars, even mm, though absolutely. he came to us from, uh, from the UK. So um, I guess the the Lyric Theatre is being built in this new Star Casino precinct it's down a, it's in It's attached. We still get people ring up and say, do I still have to go through the, the casino to get to the Lyric? Depending on who it is, I'll say, well, if you'd like to have a flutter before the show, you do. But otherwise you come round the... F- and then you come up the stairs or up the lift. I always get a giggle out of that. Usually they say, well, we do want to flutter. And I say, oh, pre-show's a good idea. <laughs> I always, because um, that that was, what, late 90s, just before 2000, wasn't it, that that was sort of opened and complete? Oh, it opened uh, October 97. Because um, I was in the very first play to grace the stage. I was going to say of that. Of the Lyric Theatre. Yes. An Ideal Husband, which was um, directed by Sir Peter Hall. He came out to, to direct it. Um, John Frost produced it with John McCallum. 
and it was on as part of the Sydney Festival that year. But I remember Sir Peter Hall telling us, you know, when he was commenting that the, the theatre was built in this casino, he said, well, traditionally the theatres always were built in the areas of brothels and gambling. Yes. So it seemed the, the perfect uh, location for it. I like the lyric. So you're the first... Uh, it, it's a nice theatre, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, do, uh, there was Julia Bravadani. She does... She was doing the day and I was doing the evening. On stage show. On stage Is Julia still there? No, she, uh, Julia left... I think when they had the big take, big takeover, changeover thing. So you've been there since day one. Mm. You've seen quite a few um, renderings of Stage Door. Oh, yes. It's changed shape a we're few now, times, isn't we're it? We're now in Stage Door 3. Right. And Billy Elliot is going to be the nif- ni- uh, 95th show that we've had. That's including all the other shows... You, know, the, you remember they had the morning melodies and things like that? Yep, yep. It'll be the 95th show. And artists as well. I think Michael Crawford was the first big, he was the big first name one. in that and year. He left his hot water kettle on. Oh, in a dressing room? In the dressing room. During a performance? I think it was bef- just before the performance. And what no, 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 no damage, but there's just smoke everywhere. What, a boiled dry? Boiled dry, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. Kettles that didn't turn themselves off. <laughs> they didn't off. turn themselves off in those days. <laughs> dear, dear, dear. Oh, I've had some interesting people go through. I guess you see a lot of performers uh, in shows, musicals, plays, mm. and also um, individual talents who are doing concerts or whatever. Um, and some of them return many times. Oh, yeah. I guess you build up quite a good relationship with some people. I do, uh, but what I like is you see some of the younger ones come in, even if they come in as a kid. Then a couple of years later on, you see the name in the... Pro- I always go through the list. Now, I think I know that name. And this much older person will come in and I say, oh, you're still here? <laughs> I'll say, yes. And, I'll say, and your name, sorry? And then they tell me, and then I'll say, were you in... I'll just leave it like that. And they tell me, and then I think, okay, yeah, I remember. Well, I guess, you know, they come in as their, it's their first show and mm-hmm. then they come back several times. Come back several times. And that's what I like about it. Are you able... I, I guess there's a degree of anonymity for you as well because you're just there to provide a service. You're a concierge, really, aren't you? You're the, Actually, I don't like that word. You don't like the word? No, I'd rather stage door keeper. Stage door keeper? Okay. Mm. So, so what's in your... Traditional. What's in your job description? What does a stage door keeper have to do uh, we're basically security reception liaise with the cast production visitors coming in all of that keeping people out keeping people out stage mothers <laughs> stage mothers yes oh. are waiting for their their children I guess do we have much of a fan culture in Australia where they line up at the stage door to to meet people depending on the show um, each, when we had Phantom uh, I think it was Wednesdays Anthony Waller wasn't on and it was Tony Berrison or Berrigan Anton Berrison Anton yes and even if they, they'd alternate it and sometimes I'd be locking up and I'd go out and be pitch darkness and these ladies would come out from nowhere where's Anthony sorry Where's Anthony? I said, you mean Mr. Waller? <laughs> I did. Yes. And I said, well, um, Mr. Waller went out the other way. 
Well, we were expecting him to see him. But it wasn't Anthony, it was Anton. Yes. Because he had the mask, so they couldn't tell. Yes. But I'd always be waiting for Anthony, and Anthony wasn't there, it would be Anton. And Anton would just walk straight past. So there is another door that, that people can exit no, from. No, it's always, I just used to say that. All right, mm. so you give them a bump steer sometimes. Bump steer. Um, it's been said that, you know, you should never meet your heroes because they probably generally will disappoint. Who's somebody that you've uh, come into contact with who certainly hasn't disappointed, who's been quite a delight? Jerry Lewis. Oh, really? Because he's got a reputation of being quite prickly. Mm. Yeah. But he would come into stage door about an hour before the show. Oh, you would remember the two couches that we had stage door one? Yep. We'd chat a bit, then he'd lie on the lie on the couch, so the feet would be over one and the head's over like that. And he'd say, okay, but you're the doctor, you ask me questions. So I just ask him these questions. Anyway, as the crew would come in, he'd just look, and if one of the crew went to go past, he'd say, sign in. He'd made sure they all signed in. We used to have a lot of laughs. That's fantastic. And yeah. some of the things he used to talk about, I didn't expect him to. <laughs> and then at the end of the season, oh, and he, he would always sign in. We had this, uh, it was like an A4, and he didn't have to sign in, but he would sign in. And at the end of the season, he said, um, do you have one of those sign-in sheets? I said, yes, I do. He just got a, a pen and he put a circle around it and he says now you keep that so I've got it on my wall brilliant and people sort of say what have you got that there for and I say have a look at it so a lot of people haven't heard of Jerry Lewis and then after a while someone will say what's that I say oh that's Jerry Lewis's signature really I said yeah where'd you get where'd you nick that from I said no he gave it to me <laughs> So as a kid who, you know, used to write to dictators and celebrities <laughs> yeah. and sportsmen, uh, in your in your job as stage doorkeeper, uh, did you, you know, do you do selfies with people or do you collect autographs or I suppose there's that professional I, line and you don't cross that. I no, if they ask for a selfie or a, a shot. They with want me, a selfie with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the often. other way around. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, I'll, I'll I'll have but I won't ask. No. I actually learnt all that with, like, in a funny kind of a way, I sort of knew all that before I started working for Cargill. Um, I've always been discreet. Yep. I think probably because of my dad. Um, working in customs. Working in customs. Yep. Um, no, I've never done that. I. Some of the younger ones usually ask me later on, oh, do you, do you go out with them? And I'll say no. I don't say if they ask. Uh, do you tell stories to each other? No. Uh, do you get their signatures? No. Because I basically know that one girl I had to say, are you after my job? <laughs> and she said, well, it'd be interesting. And I, I said, well, when you come down, it's quiet. But it can be very busy before and after the show. But uh, to be honest, stage door, the stage door job, is not the glamour you're looking for. Surely you meet everybody. For maybe 10 minutes, 15 Whatever, minutes yeah. in the working night. Oh, but you were talking to so-and-so the other day. Uh, 
yes, because I've, she's been coming in and out here for the last 15 years, so she knows who I am. Oh, okay. I said, take that long to get to know somebody. I said, well, yeah. And then I, in my mind, I think, no, you're, you're not good for stage door. Oh. A little bit uppity, I suppose, but... Not at all. You're supposed I think to be, that's that's what's given you your, your longevity in the career, that discretion, that, you're to that be understanding seen, of people. Yeah, you're to be seen, but you're not seen, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Some people will come in and they'll say, uh, hi, hi. If they don't talk, well, obviously they're thinking about something else. I don't get offended by that at all, but they're, they're here to work. It's a place of employment, isn't it? Yes. They are arriving at work as anybody who goes through the front gates or the door of their workplace. It's And they see me there. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not going to use the language, but I won't say what show, but there was a young guy, this would have been about 10 years ago, it was his first show. We were at stage door two, which was up that ramp. Yes. Where we are now, that used to be the bin room. Oh. Do you remember Steve Wickham? Yes, indeed. Dear Steve. Dear Steve, yeah. He was there when that was to be stage door, and he said no, so they moved it up to where you were, when we were, where for it, important to be in earnest. Yep. And that was sort of come full circle. I, your husband. I, your husband. <laughs> this young guy came in, and uh, I said, how are you? He says, hi. I said, your name, please. I said, okay, now you've got to go to level one, dressing room, whatever. A particular older person came in after, and they were going up that ramp to the lift. And then this guy says, who's the old C on the door? Charming. Because an echo, so I heard. Yeah. I'm going right there. And then I hear this, I think now, hold on. And she hit his head against the wall or pushed his body against the wall, I don't know. Then they went up. They went out as she was going out. She said, did you hear that? I said, I did. She said, I'll stick up for you. I said, oh, that's very nice, thank you. She said, that's what we do. She said, I told him that the person on the door, wherever, can make or break your career. So she was an older actor or old backstage actor, person? Yeah, old, older actor. Yeah, mm. fantastic. Yeah, I've always remembered that, but I've never been that called that before. <laughs> no, not at all. What a little upstart. Oh, I, yeah. I hope his career didn't continue. <laughs> I don't think so. You haven't seen him pop No, up I haven't again. seen him since. Well, there you go. Unless there. he's in Morocco somewhere. <laughs> the gods of the theatre smile down <laughs> down upon him. I know that's all part of the why I like stage door. You're you've got to be a people person, I guess, don't you? Or you've got to be able to read people. Yeah, yeah. when we were at that first stage door, you remember that pub on the corner? Yes, yes. Which is now a medical centre. Right. People would come round that corner into Edward Street and by the way they walked, I could tell whether I could. I was going to say good morning or just nod. It was that was my corner of, of reading people. Just the way they came around that corner. One of the nicest people we had at the state was Dudley Moore. Oh, lovely Dudley! And f- for about a week before he arrived, everybody was saying, "Oh, you got to cast, tell me what he's drinking. What he's drinking." I said, "Okay." So he came in the first time on in the dressing room doing whatever and I'm just sort of looking around and no drinking, no bottles, nothing. 
and uh, I, went, I went down there one night and he was sort of he was okay but he had his shoe off and I had to help him with a shoe and he had a club foot so when one was shorter than the other or one leg was shorter I think it, I'm not a club foot that's sort of I think, I think it's the shorter right anyway um, I just knew that I thought there was something wrong he certainly wasn't drunk and it was later on I found out that he had the he had MS didn't he or the disease it, it eats away the brain or something right and so that was the early that was the early beginnings. stage right. and, and a lot of people used to think he was drunk but he, yeah. he wasn't drunk right and he was a lovely man yeah what's the best part of your job um oh that's a hard one so, uh, having a, a difficult person coming in to do a show maybe for a week or whatever but then by halfway through the show you've won them over I suppose I've won them over, or they'll say, are you stage door Johnny? I said, I am. Oh, we've heard about you. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and then it's all, it's all good. Well, I guess you find a lot of performers are, are quite insecure, so they put up these walls, um, and then I guess, you know, you're in a perfect position to sort of break them down, and yeah, if you can connect somehow. I, I'd rather remain reserved. But then when someone comes to break the ice, I like them to do that, not me. But then I know they're, they're, they're genuine. Who called you stage door Johnny? Because it's a perfect ID. Patrick, now there's an argument between this one. Uh, I was doing a casual stage door at the Queen's Theatre. Patrick got me the job. In the West End. In the West End. Yeah. And it was Marlena Dietrich. Stage door Johnny. I said, what is your name? I said, my name's uh, John. Oh, stage door Johnny. I said, yeah, I suppose so. And it didn't click until after I'd read about that type of thing. I told Patrick and he said, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) Because he's a actor as well, you know. Yes. (laughs) So that was that. Then I went to, I was working here with Dave McFarlane on Mozart by Moonlight. Right. Do you remember in the... Botanical Gardens. There was a series of concerts. Was yeah, there? a series yeah. of concerts, yeah. Um, and David came up one day and said to me, has anybody started calling you Stage Door Johnny? And I said, oh, yeah, a long time ago. But I didn't say anything. Who it was. I didn't say who it was. <laughs> and he says, I'm going to call you Stage Door Johnny. I said, okay, no problem. <laughs> I'm not going to start a war. <laughs> but you've made it part of your... It's, it's your email title you've web, got my, card my, you... my uh, web page yep I've had about two offers f- uh, over the years from the states to buy that web page right stagerjohnny.com yep I've always said no excellent because the, it'll so it's, it's been fun working at stage door does that affect your daily Rituals. I mean, you're a shift worker, effectively, aren't you? Yes, you know, yeah. a flight attendant who, you know, there's certain times of the day that you have, that you sleep. What's I, what's your average day like? Okay, I would, in, I'd get up about nine a.m. I would do the mail or whatever. I go shopping, do the gardening, just catch up on phone calls, and then say two o'clock start to get ready have some lunch get ready to go to work and be there by 3 30. 
and then I'd leave, I'd put the roller door down, say quarter to 12, 12 o'clock, and then I'd walk home to the cross, nice and slowly, just relax. So get home about one? Get home about one, read, or catch up on a movie and then go to bed. Because I like those hours. Well, I guess you've done them for the last 20 years, haven't you? Mm. I like those hours. And I'm basically by myself. Yep. Uh, Monday is off. I, I'll meet up with friends on a Monday. But other than that. But then anybody wants to be my friend about a week before New Year because <laughs> I've got the balcony. <laughs> ah, right. Then I've got to tidy up. How did you come across the place where you're living? Oh, that was the... Um, I'd arrived on 6, 7 a.m. By 3 o'clock, I'd walked up to the Kirkton Hotel. So what year is this? This was 83, 84. Right. I went in and I asked, do you have a job? And the lady said, can you operate this? And this was one of those old registers with the 16-inch high... Buttons. Buttons. Yeah. I said yes. I said after that. And you really have to push down yeah, hard. Push down. <laughs> I said uh, I'll be available any time. About two hours later on I got back. She said, can you start at 8pm uh, tonight for a training session? I said yes. So I went, went back up. I got the 3 to 11 shift. That was uh, five days a week. And it was then when I realised that it was the top floor was, was the bordello and the country people stayed down below. So I had two registers, one for the hotel guests and one for the ladies of the night and their regular pimps. <laughs> so I had to get to know all the pimps as well. And then, a, oh, I've forgotten what year it was. So you are doing stage door then really, weren't you? <laughs> yes, I didn't think of that. <laughs> that was training. <laughs> and then one night, um, one of the girls ran out with next to nothing on. She, she says, oh, Johnny, darling, she says, um, the place is on fire. And I, I said, what do you mean? Because she, she smoked a lot, so I thought maybe she was off on a tangent. Then another one came down, and all these girls started going out next to nothing, standing outside. John, there's a fire, there's a fire. There was a fire. Anyway, so we got all the, everybody out. The owner turned up. This would have been about 1 a.m., John, would you please go through the building when it is cool enough? And could you please retrieve the sugar sachets, the salt and pepper sachets and the pea bags? I said, sorry? <laughs> I said, I have to be back at 7am. You will do that or you don't come back. Now, once the show starts at stage door in the, in the theatre, is there much to do? Do you get bored? How do you alleviate that boredom? Or, or Phone calls. Right, there's plenty of work to do. Or, or do you make your personal phone calls? Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. We'll get the phone calls. Right. Hello. Yes, can I help you? Uh, I'm coming to see the show uh, next week. Yes, ma'am. What show? The show that's on at your theatre. Okay. But what show have you got the tickets for? They tell me. Uh, how can I help you? Um, and this is every night, at least. So it, once or twice. What not, time does the eight o'clock show start? Box office or anything? They're calling. No, it comes to us. Now. Comes straight to you, mm -hmm. doesn't it? Right. They'll want to know what time the eight o'clock show starts, <laughs> or the seven thirty show starts. So then I will say, do you have the tickets with you? Because now I just 
play with everybody now. Just have to enjoy myself. And I try and guide them through reading the ticket. Oh, we were never told this. I said, no, that's why I thought I'd tell you now, so you'll know for the next next show. And they'll either be an expletive or thank you very much. But what I have noticed is that a lot of people are coming to the theatres now for musicals and some of them think it's a concert. Well, you see a lot of people who've never been to the theatre before, really. Sort of, you know, for those big uh, blockbusters like the Book of Mormon. I remember the, the time I went to Book of Mormon. There were a lot of people who had obviously never been to the theatre before. And they came to the stage door thinking... That was the entrance. Entrance. Uh, at one stage, one night we had 45... And then a couple of weeks later on, it was a Friday, I had the two company managers from America, they were down with me, and they were saying, oh, John, there's all these people. I said, oh, yes, um, these are the people I called the Lost Souls. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, John, how many Lost Souls have we got? So you tell me and I'll take a note. That night we got 60. Really? Just turning up at stage door? And when I said, okay, stop, we've got 60... There was this expletive in <laughs> John, we thought you were just joking. I said, nope. And then from then it went down to 40s and stayed. I guess you get to a point too where at stage door where nothing surprises you. No. Nothing surprises me anymore. Oh, okay. I have a system where if the mail comes in, I highlight the cast sheet and put post most people will say oh I've got some mail I said yes you have oh what's this mean I said post is mail so it'll be in the corner over there Uh, a lot of them don't expect mail so we're talking fan mail perhaps no not oh not so much but mail you know ASOS all this shopping they do now we get a lot of that there used to be a young guy the first time his his name was Stephen the first fan letter he wrote was your show An Ideal Husband Ideal Husband was that to Stephanie Beecham who was the star of Dynasty oh that's a story (laughs) they'll probably write him to Stephanie were they no they sent in a newspaper cutting of the cast yep and he'd done a self-addressed envelope. And so every time a show would come in, I'd always see this envelope. So what I'd do is, if there was a spare program, I would send it back to him. He'd get it signed for him, and I'd just send it back. Cause, and he would always write and say, thank you. Right. But I haven't seen any letters from him for, all for the last five years. Maybe he just changed. Yeah. And there was a time when... Um, Googie Withers, remember she, she was in the wheelchair? She came for some function. And we had that little slope, this stage door one. Yeah. And I'm taking her down there, we were laughing about something, but I, I was just dreading. I wasn't going to trip on a stone or something and Googie go no, far that way. Yes. <laughs> and finish a national treasure. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're good. I've had some good times there. Theatre people are great people, really, aren't yeah. they? Good sense of humour. What's your, have you got a favourite show that you worked on? I liked... I really liked Oliver. All right, yep. 
That was the Cameron Macintosh and that revival, wasn't it, with John, John Waters, Waters as yes. Fagan and John Waters, Stuart Wagstaff was in that. Yes. Yeah. Um, Tamsin Carroll was Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. I've always liked that show. I just wonder why they don't bring it back. Yeah. Otherwise, it's the climate these days. Yeah, but it is a great show. It's a good show. Yeah. Great set. The music is fantastic. I saw it in UK with. Uh, Oh, Griff, Griff Jones, Griff Reese Jones, Griff Reese Jones. Oh, really? I think was, yeah, huh? I think Tamsin was in it. Yeah. And I arranged with Tamsin. I'd come around to see her one day, so I dropped a note off. And this girl was in stage door at the back with her feet up on the table. I'm thinking, oh dear me! I said, could I have this letter delivered uh, when it's convenient to Tamsin Carroll? How do you know her? I saw I know her from Australia. Went back after the show, waited. I said, oh, excuse me, is uh, Tamsin Carroll still here? Oh, she's not here until next week. <laughs> they could have told me that before. <laughs> dear, dear, dear. Um, so I went away thinking, that wouldn't happen at my stage. No, certainly not. <laughs> have you had that opportunity to visit many other stage doors? And I, I do, yeah. but I stand outside. You don't go in? No, I don't go in. I just stand outside. If I've made arrangements to see somebody, I go in and, and introduce myself and then stand outside. Yeah. They, I guess stage door can be a very daunting area mm. of the, of the theatre. You know, it's the... I th- took my dad to the UK in uh, 94 and Sarah Brightman was doing a concert at the Birmingham Recital Hall. And I already knew that she was coming to Sydney and they were going to do a show with Warlow. So I went to stage door and introduced myself and I said, could I leave a message for Miss Brightman? That's John from State Theatre, uh, if I could see her later on. I had my poster. So I went round. There's this long line-up. I'm at the end of the line. The stage door comes out and says, would John from the State Theatre in Sydney, Australia, please make his way to stage door? <laughs> so I post a pen in hand. I go up to stage door. All these people, how the bloody hell is he getting in now? Who's he? <laughs> Who's, Who's he? he? <laughs> All the cursing I got. I was in there for an hour. We chatted. and Brilliant. Going up. You'd made very good. What the hell? What the hell? <laughs> I felt all these daggers. So is there no business like show business? There is no business like show business at all. (laughs) Can you see yourself being at stage door for a a bit longer? Oh, yeah. Yeah? You love it. That ramp's going to be useful for me one day when I'm (laughs) in my wheelchair, but they'll have to take the door, that glass door away. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I I know a lot of performers are are very grateful to in that knowledge that you will be around uh, at stage door for a lot longer. I go to work, I know I'm going to have a laugh. And that's that's the important thing, isn't it? Mm. To have a job which you enjoy. And I really enjoy it. It's not a chore. John, thank you for uh, talking to stages today and that's sharing right, Peter, no problem at all. many of the wonderful anecdotes from your illustrious career. Thank you. Right. <laughs> See you. No problem. What about that, eh? Fascinating stuff and a profile of one of theatre's most important and demanding roles. A position which calls for a special type of talent and instinct. I really enjoyed talking to John and learning so much I didn't know. 
as indeed you would have. There are many more great conversations in the Stages archive. They're all available in iTunes, Spotify and the Wooshka directories. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast, the award-winning podcast. Next episode, my guest is theatre director and historian Rodney Delaney. We discuss our favourite musical Gypsy and delve into some Brisbane theatre history and learn about the Actors' Company, Sydney's first attempt at a professional cooperative theatre company. Good stuff. You've been listening to Stages. I'm Peter Ayers and thanks for listening.